G'day and welcome to Is It Relevant Today? Right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Jigao and on this show we're examining biblical concepts and ideas and asking ourselves the important question, is it relevant today? Or is it as outdated and ridiculous as buttons on phones? We live in a world where excuses are very commonplace. In fact, I had a look at a number of excuses that people gave to their bosses for not coming to work. One person said, I got a bit of a slight problem. I got the end of a cotton bud stuck in my ear and I have to go to the ER to get it removed. Another said, I tripped over my dog and was knocked unconscious. I got stuck in the blood pressure machine at the grocery store. Now this one must be in America. The only place I've seen blood pressure machines in Australia is in pharmacies. I put my uniform in the microwave to dry it, and it caught on fire. My false teeth flew out the window while I was driving on the driveway. Well, I guess you can't go to work without your false teeth. My cat is stuck inside the dashboard in my car. I'm stuck under my bed. (laughs) I thought that was a funny one. My parakeet has the flu, and I need to look after it. And... I can't come to work because my wife put all of my underwear in the washing machine. I guess that's a reasonable excuse. I'm sure that the boss of the people who heard these excuses were like, Really? Excuses are interesting things. Some are more credible than others. Now, the story of Joseph is one of my favorites in the Bible. I love hearing it again and again. And today we're going to have a look at the story of Joseph. Now, before we begin, I just wanted to have a look at some of the background to his story. Joseph didn't grow up in the ideal family. In fact, to say that Joseph's family had a few problems is a colossal understatement. Joseph had serious issues in his family. In fact, his father was an opportunistic, manipulative liar. He manipulated the birthright from his brother Esau. He then deceived his father into giving him the blessing that was meant for Esau. And it's interesting how he did this. Now, his father is blind by this time, so he puts on Esau's clothing so he smells like him. But he puts this baby goat skin on his shoulders and on his hands in case his father feels him so he feels like his brother. Now, when I first read this, I thought to myself, how hairy must have Esau been for his father to feel this skin of a goat and think, Oh yes, this hair feels the right density. It must be my son Esau. It's quite possible that he suffered from a condition called hypertrichosis, which is a excessive hair growth all over the body. This is referred to sometimes as werewolf syndrome. I believe Esau may have had something like this. Nevertheless, Jacob was a manipulative, opportunistic liar, and his mother Rachel, while being a beautiful woman, she was also a manipulative liar. She was also a thief and an idolater. The relationship that she had with her husband also wasn't an ideal relationship. In fact, she wasn't his only wife. He had another wife, and each one of them gave their handmaids to him to be concubines or a kind of lesser wife. Can you imagine the tensions that this would have brought in the family? He loved Rachel more than the others. This would have brought a lot of envy and jealousy in the family. But it wasn't only on the parental side that there were serious problems. We'll have a look at the rest of his family 
just after this song.
知道。Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? You're listening to Maria Stigel, and we're currently exploring Joseph's life. We've discovered his mum and dad are manipulative liars, and that his father had a total of four wives, causing much jealousy and contentions. If you look at his older brother, Jacob's first son Reuben, you'll find that he was an adulterer, and not just your run-of-the-mill adulterer. He committed adultery with his dad's wife. Brother number four also had this problem. He slept with prostitutes. Well, at least one that we know of. Brothers two and three, Levi and Simeon, were also not completely innocent themselves. In fact, when their sister got raped, their retribution was they went to the town where she was raped and killed all of the men in the town. I believe that this is why you have the law in the Old Testament that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Not saying that if someone takes your eye, you must take their eye in return. No, this isn't what the law is saying at all. Essentially, what it's saying is don't take more than an eye for an eye, as Simeon and Levi did when they went and killed all of the men of that town. Now, that's not all they did. After killing all of the men, they then went and stole all of their stuff, all of their possessions, all of their livestock, and also all of their wives and children. Now we're not told what we did with them, but three ideas come to mind. One is that they may have taken them to be their own wives and children. Two is that they may have taken them to be their slaves, or they may have sold them to be slaves to other people. We don't know exactly what they did with them. This is the kind of family that Joseph grew up in, and when he was but a young boy, his mother passed away. Now we're not told exactly how old he was when this happened, and there's a little bit of contradiction among scholars as to when this happened. I personally believe it was somewhere between when he was seven to ten years old. This would have been a heartbreaking thing for him to live through. Now he lived through very unique and difficult circumstances. On top of all of this, his father decided him to give him a Gucci robe. Now I had a look at the Hebrew, and it translates to Gucci. Now his brothers all got robes from Target, and I can imagine as they're looking at the labels on their garments, they're thinking, "Hmm, I don't think we have the same kind of robes here." In fact, if you have a look at the Hebrew word describing the garment, it's the word "pasim." This word is derived from the word "pas," which means flat of hand or flat of foot. Now, this is traditionally translated as a multi-coloured robe, but I believe that a more accurate translation would be a very long-sleeve robe extending to the feet. In fact, many scholars agree with these translations. Some say it could mean a richly ornamented tunic of potentially variant colours, and some say it could mean a gold-threaded robe. We're not exactly sure, as this word only appears in the Bible describing this robe and that of David's daughter Tamar. Now, what we can be sure of is that this was a robe fit for royalty, and it was a robe that royalty wore. It was a very special robe that indicated that this person is of a very important status. This is the robe that Jacob gave to his son, and we're told for this reason his brothers 
hated him and that they couldn't speak a kind word to him. Now, to make matters worse, Joseph had these dreams. And I can just imagine that one day he comes to his brothers and says, Brothers, I've had a dream and they would have been like, Joseph, our favorite brother. Please, tell us your dream. And he goes and tells him, Look, we were all binding sheaves. And I'm imagining that they would have interrupted him and be like, What? You binding sheaves? Come on, Joseph, you don't bind sheaves. You just supervise. You'd get your Gucci robe dirty if you were to do that. And Joseph would have probably ignored them and said, And my sheaf stood up and yours bowed down to mine. And I can just imagine the look on their faces would have turned sour. They would have been like, What? Has all this favoritism gone to your head? You think that you're going to be ruler over us? We're told that they hated him. And a few verses later, we're told again that they hated him all the more. And then he has another dream. And I can imagine his brother saying, Oh, Joseph, another dream. Please, we can't wait to hear what this dream was. Really? This time the sun and moon bow before you. Oh, it's a whole family affair. That's really nice. And they hated him. And it's no surprise that when the opportunity presented itself, these men, who some of them were murderers and adulterers, took Joseph and stripped him of his coat and threw him into a pit and then sold him to Ishmaelite and Midianite merchants. Now, if there was ever someone to have an excuse for not behaving in a godly fashion, it was Joseph. Joseph wasn't brought up in the ideal family. Joseph suffered through many trials in his life. And he had many reasons and excuses for ungodly behavior. However, he's one of only two main characters in the Bible, with the exception of Jesus, who we don't have any sins recorded against. Now, we know that he did sin because the Bible tells us that everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. But the Bible doesn't record any sins against him. The other one who fits this category is Daniel. But how does this tie in with our life today? We'll find out just after this song. God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not Thy compassions, they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever will be. Lord, 
to Is It Relevant Today, right here on Faith FM. You're listening to Maria Strigel, and today we've been exploring the story of Joseph and the circumstances that surrounded his upbringing. Now, we've discovered that if ever there was someone who had an excuse for ungodly behavior, it was Joseph. Many people in our world today make excuses for their ungodly behavior. They blame their past, they blame their spouse, they blame people around them. In fact, I was one of these people. For much of my life, I blamed events in my childhood or events with people around me for my behavior. I used to say, well, I'm using drugs because this happened to me in my childhood and this happened and you don't know the things that I've gone through. And it wasn't until I reached a point where I started taking responsibility for my own actions that my Christian walk began to grow. In fact, I was driving down from a casino one day, high on a number of medications, and I sideswiped a parked car. And the police tested me and realized that I was high, and a few months later I received a summons from them. I remember when I received this summons, I remember it really clearly. I thought to myself, there's a way that I could lie and manipulate my way out of this charge. But I thought, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give this to God. And I can still remember the file. It was like about five centimeters thick. And I put it aside. I didn't even read it. I said, God, I accept responsibility for my actions. May my punishment be what you think is best for me. And I remember the punishment I got was two years loss of license. It was the maximum loss of license I could get. I didn't get any significant fine, but the loss of license period was the maximum that could have been given. And this, for me, began a slow, gradual process of me starting to accept responsibility for my own behavior. I went from saying, well, I'm using drugs because of these things happened to me in my childhood, to saying, you know what, I'm using drugs because I'm choosing to do so at the moment. Now, this allowed me to be able to allow God to work in my heart and give me the strength to overcome. You see, when we don't accept responsibility for our own sins, essentially what we're saying is, well, I'm in this situation because of what this person has done. And then we are helpless to overcome because you can't change what that person has done. It's a clever, manipulative ploy that Satan puts in our lives when we don't accept responsibility. 
and then we feel we can't overcome because we can't get past that step. If anyone ever had a reason, if anyone ever had an excuse for ungodly and sinful behavior, it was Joseph. However, we don't have any of his sins recorded. Now, in Genesis 39 verse 8, we're told that Joseph was a well-built and handsome man. Now, he must have been really good-looking because the Bible only speaks about a few men being handsome. Saul was one of them, David, and then his two sons, Absalom and Adonijah. These are the only four men that are named that we are told were handsome. Some may argue that Daniel and his friends were handsome because the Babylonians only chose handsome men to serve for them, but we're not told specifically that they were handsome. Also, some say that Moses was handsome, but what we're actually told about him was that he was a handsome baby. And if you read into it, you get the idea that this is what his mother thought of him. And let's be honest, most mothers think their children are beautiful. Well, except my mother. She thought I was an ugly baby when I was born. I guess not much has changed. However, we're told that Joseph was a handsome man. We're also told that he was well built. Now, this didn't really work out much in his favor. Potiphar's wife began seducing him. But he stayed true to God. You see, if ever anyone had an excuse to commit adultery, it was Joseph. He would have realized that refusing her could mean imprisonment, it could mean death, he could be severely punished. But doing as she wanted could have benefited him in many ways. But he chose not to excuse his sin, but to do the right thing according to God. And because he did this, he was put into prison. Joseph had every excuse imaginable not to behave in a godlike manner, but he didn't choose to do this. Stay with us after this song and we'll see how this is relevant to us today. Sometimes blind us to the truth Our Father knows what's best for us His ways are not our own So when your pathway grows dim And you just don't see Him Remember
back to Is It Relevant Today? I'm Marius Jigau and we're looking at the story of Joseph and have realized that Joseph had every excuse imaginable not to behave in a godlike manner, but he chose not to do so. It's our natural instinct to excuse our sins and to make excuses for sinful behavior. In fact, our parents Adam and Eve, it's the first thing they did. Oh wait, it wasn't me, it was her. Oh, it wasn't me, it was the snake. Now Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 that he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. When we cover our sins, we can't overcome them. We can't allow God to work in our lives to overcome them because, well, if there's an excuse for it, well, then it's ultimately not our fault. We're not the ones responsible. This is a clever tactic that Satan uses against us. Now, you may have heard me speak in the last few presentations about three specific topics that cause separation between us and God. And these have been forgiveness, dysfunction in the family, and watching things that are inappropriate for Christian consumption. And the reason I'm focusing on these three things is because, from my experience, these are amongst the three biggest problems that exist in our church today. The problem of forgiveness is such a serious one, because it's so common for people to excuse it by saying, hey, it's not my fault. You don't know what they did. And in this way, by saying it's not our fault, well, how can we overcome it? It's that person. That person needs to fess up. That person needs to do the right thing. And then I can forgive them. And in this way, we've removed the responsibility from ourselves and placed it on someone else. But what the Bible tells us, in fact, what Jesus tells us, is that we need to take responsibility and to forgive. In fact, he uses some very stern language and essentially says, if you don't forgive, you're not going to heaven. It doesn't matter what other people do. What matters is what we do. The other topic that we've looked at is dysfunction in the family. Now, I did a little bit of research and I discovered that there is essentially no difference statistically when looking at dysfunction in the family in the church and dysfunction in families outside of the church. Christian families, compared to, let's say, families from an atheist background, when you compare them, you see that there is very little difference to the dysfunction that occurs in these families. In fact, its prevalence is almost equal. Now, the problem with this issue, the problem with not forgiving your spouse, the problem with allowing fights and arguments in our family, the problem with this issue is that it doesn't just affect us and our walk with God and our salvation. It affects our children and those around us. Children look at us and think, well, if this is the result of following God, why would I want to follow Him? It appears that this religion is useless. It's no wonder that so many of our children have left the church. And I know this from personal experience in a previous marriage when I would blame all of my problems on the other person. And this is common. I don't respect my husband because you don't know the things he does when you're not around. He does this and this and this and I just can't respect him. And in this way, 
You're putting the responsibility that God has placed on your heart and making it their fault. It's their fault I'm not doing what God told me to do. On the other hand, husbands are doing the same. I don't love my wife because of the way she treats me. You don't know. And in this way, they're negating their responsibility and placing it on the other person, upon their wives. Now, the Bible tells us to love your wife as Jesus loved the church. Now, did Jesus only love the church when the church was nice and kind to him? No, Jesus loved the church irrespective of their behavior. It was his responsibility to love the church regardless. In a similar way, it's our responsibility to make our marriages work and not to leave this work undone. The other problem that's so prevalent in the church is watching things that are unfit for Christian consumption. And the excuse I hear for this is, ah, come on, Marius, it's just entertainment. In fact, I was speaking to someone just last week who said to me, ah, this doesn't affect me. It's interesting that most people I speak to think the same thing. In fact, most people who struggle with this issue think, ah, it doesn't affect me. See, I'm able to split the bad from the good and focus on the good and not be affected by the bad. Now, this is exactly the way the enemy wants us to think. Many people in our church are mindful of consuming clean food. However, we are quite happy to consume unclean media without a second thought. I want you to ask yourself next time you put on that movie that has sex scenes and violence and God's name being taken in vain, ask yourself, would I watch this if Jesus was here? Would I watch this if I was mindful of the omnipresent God of the world? Would I watch this if I realized the truth that God is with me right here? Jesus is coming soon and many of us are sitting and excusing our sinful behavior. I invite you to open your eyes and look at the world around you. Jesus is coming soon. Stay with us after this song. And we'll wrap it up. Far away stood an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross where the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners was slain So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross Someday for a crown Well the old rugged cross So despised by the world Has a wondrous attraction for me For the dear Lamb of God Left His glory above To bear it to dark Calvary So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last 
To the old rugged cross I will ever be true It's shame and reproach gladly bear Then he'll call me someday to my home far away Where his glory forever I'll share So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today, right here on Faith FM. You're listening to Marius Jigau, and today we've been looking at the excuses many make for a sinful life. Many excuse their unwillingness to forgive, their unwillingness to repair their broken marriages to the detriment of themselves and their children, and instead they blame others for their problems. We've also discovered that when we blame someone else for our problems, that sets us up for failure to overcome that problem, as how can we fix something that's not our fault to begin with? If ever there was someone who had an excuse for sin, It was Joseph, but he chose not to do this. We are living in interesting times. We're living on the brink of Jesus' return. The signs are all around us. Now, I was speaking to someone just last week. In fact, I've spoken to a lot of people recently who have this sentiment. They say, yes, Marius, you're saying that these signs are happening around us. But I mean, there was another pandemic just over a hundred years ago. In 1918, there was the Spanish flu. And the message they're conveying by saying this is essentially, well, it's not all that different now from then, is it? Now, I want us to explore this concept just a little bit. This pandemic is very different to the one that happened in 1918. And the reason for this is because the other signs that are happening around us are much different. The signs of Jesus' return are like an address. For example, the address of our church in Maryborough is 35 Raglan Street, Maryborough, Victoria, Australia. Now, if you just had part of this, for example, Maryborough, well, you could be in Victoria, you could be in Queensland, you could be in the United Kingdom, you could be in the US, who knows where you are. However, if you have 35 Raglan Street, Maryborough, Australia, Well, that narrows it down. You're either in Queensland or in Victoria. I've noticed that in Queensland, there is another Maryborough which has a Raglan Street. But when you have the whole address, then all of the signs are being fulfilled. Now, you see, in 1918, at the time of the Spanish flu, a lot of the signs that we're seeing today were not yet being fulfilled. For example, Jesus says, as it was in the time of Lot so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, in the time of Lot, the problem was sexual immorality. And while I'm sure that this was a problem in 1918, this problem was concealed, it was covered, it wasn't prominent throughout society openly. However, this is what we have today. This sign wasn't being fulfilled in 1918. 
Daniel tells us that in the time of the end, knowledge will increase. The way that knowledge is increasing today is very different from how it was increasing back then. In fact, it's happening today exponentially compared to back then. Daniel also tells us that people will run to and fro. The way that people are traveling today isn't comparable with the way they were traveling back then. And some people say, no, this speaks about going to and fro, researching the Bible. This also is being fulfilled in a way today that wasn't being fulfilled back then. If you think of how we do biblical research today, you just type in a few words and you have mountains of pages at your disposal. Many signs that were given to us about Jesus' return weren't being fulfilled then, but they are being fulfilled right now. Another one is children being disobedient to parents. Think of how it was back then compared to how it is today. Deception is another sign that Jesus gave us. Think about the way that deception was practiced back then. And think of the abundance of deception that we have in our world today. You don't know what to believe. You see, the signs that are happening in the world around us today are very different to how they were back then. Therefore, the pandemic, the pestilence that's occurring now is a very different type of sign than it was in 1918 with the Spanish flu. Now, this is being fulfilled, but also all of the other signs that the Bible gives us that need to happen at the return of Jesus, they are all being fulfilled right now. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is coming soon. One of the founders of our church writes, Today, a large part of those who compose our congregations are dead in trespass and sins. I want to ask you, do you think that this has gotten worse since she wrote this? Or it's gotten better. She continues saying, They come and go like a door upon its hinges. For years they have complacently listened to the most solemn, soul-stirring truths, but they have not put them into practice. I want to ask you, are you putting the truth that God is bringing before you into practice today? Therefore, they are less than sensible to the preciousness of truth. The stirring testimonies of reproof and warning do not arouse them to repentance. We live in a world where excuses are prominent. And Satan is deceiving us to make an excuse for the sins that we're engaging in by saying, Ah, this isn't your fault. This is someone else's fault. I want to invite you today to give this to God. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today and He's saying, this thing that you've been holding on to, take responsibility for it and give it to me and I will help you overcome. I want to invite you to make this decision today. Jesus is coming soon and when He comes, we all want to be there to spend eternity with Him. Won't you give your heart to Him today? Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we praise you for all the warnings that you've given us. We praise you for the example of Joseph you've given us, that even though he had every excuse for sin imaginable, he chose to live a godly life. Lord, we also want to choose to live a godly life and to follow you and accept responsibility for our sins. We want to give them to you and pray that you help us to overcome, that we may be prepared for the day that you arrive. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
We thank you for listening today and don't forget to visit our YouTube channel called Is It Relevant Today? where we have video presentations on many topics including the one we've just been talking about called Joseph's Excuses. We look forward to seeing you next week. I'm Marius Jigau. God bless and I hope you have a magnificent day.
cannot feel When my wounds don't heal Lord, I humbly kneel Hidden in you Lord, you are my life So I don't mind to die Just as long as I'm Hidden in you If I could just sit with you a while If you could just hold me Nothing could touch me Though I'm wounded, though I die If I could just sit with you a while I need you to hold me Moment by moment Till forever passes by When I know I've sinned When I should have been Crying out my God And hidden in you Lord, I need you now More than I know how So I humbly I could just sit with you a while If you could just hold me Nothing could touch me Though I'm wounded, though I die If I could just sit with you a while I need you to hold me Moment by moment Till forever passes by Just sit with you a while 
I need you to hold me Moment by moment Till forever passes by Moment by moment Till forever passes by You've been listening to Is It Relevant Today? If you have any questions or comments, please leave them on our Facebook page, Is It Relevant Today? But for now, thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next week. I love to tell the story Twill be my theme in glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and His love